At the beginning of this calendar year, we launched into a study on Romans, and I mentioned that we would be moving in and out of uh, Paul's letter to the church in Rome throughout the year. Uh, we, we took a break during Lent and Easter, and we'll take a break again over the summer, but when all is said and done, we will have spent about uh, half of our Sundays together in uh, the book of Romans. And so by the end of the year, if someone says, do you know the book of Romans well? I'm hoping the answer is yes. I'm hoping the answer is yes. And while there's a, a couple different reasons I wanted to foc- focus on Paul's letter to the church in Rome this year, the main one is that it, it is a great, great commentary on what it looks like to follow Jesus in a time when culture is going through a massive shift. And I think it's safe to say that our, our culture today is going through a massive shift as we figure out what the world looks like, uh, kind of post-COVID, still dealing with COVID, that the world is different today than it was a few years ago. And so I, I kind of thought, hey, Romans hits on that. So let's unpack Romans a little bit together. When we started the, the series in January, the image that I invited us to hold for, for this letter is Paul showing up in the midst of a time of confusion, in, in the midst of a time of questioning, and, and waving his hands and saying, church, church. I have good news. I know everything's changing. I, I know we're trying to figure out how, how to exist in, in this world, but I have good news. And that good news still holds true today. And that was just 30 years after Jesus' death and, and resurrection. And we still have lessons to learn from it now. Uh, a few years ago, my dad got me a, a Christmas gift that he was really excited about. That, that he was, was really, really excited about. My mom handed me the package and said, your dad got this for you. I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> I, I opened the gift and it was this small plastic box with absolutely nothing in it. And I, and I looked at it and I said, dad, what, what is this? And he said, it's a small plastic box. I said, I can see that it's a small plastic box. And he said, you know, you can put small things in it. I said, awesome. Yes, I can put small things in it. I think it's somewhere on our workbench buried right now with a few loose screws in it. But I remember thinking, what am I going to do with this? What, what am I going to do with this? We've reached the halfway point in Romans. We're in a place in the letter where we've, we've opened this gift and we're in that place where we're saying, what do we do with this? That, that gift being the, the gospel message, what do we do with this? The first eight chapters of uh, Romans is, is really all about what God does for us in the gospel and what God does in us through the gospel. But then right at chapter eight, it shifts to this place where we are given a response or an opportunity to respond. We're really the rest of Romans is about what we do with this gift that we have been given. How do we respond with the gospel? What sort of changes in our life, what sort of real tangible shifts come from the gospel? How does our faith actually shape us in the day to day? So chapter 8, again, it kind of serves as a, as a pivot point 
in the letter. And we're, we're going to spend today and the next couple of Sundays in chapter 8 because it is that, that important to, to this entire letter. So we read this at the beginning of chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I have reached that place in my life where it is fairly easy to fall asleep. Anyone else relate to that? Any of you sleeping right now? It is fairly easy to fall asleep on the couch in awkward positions next to my children while they're going to sleep, on the floor, in the car, pretty much anywhere. It is fairly easy to fall asleep. Now, staying asleep, totally different deal. Staying asleep is something totally, totally different. Sometimes I wake up thinking about uh, my family. Sometimes I wake up thinking about my, my friends. Sometimes it's waking up thinking about church or a global crisis or, or something else. But other times, other times it's completely random. A lyric to a song that I haven't heard for years just pops into my head and wakes me up in the middle of the morning. A memory from childhood A random idea I had 10 years ago that somehow comes back to me. Why? And now it doesn't go, doesn't get too long for me to go from the place of that random thought to frustration. Why is this keeping me awake? And then I obsess over being awake, not over the idea that woke me up, but just the fact that I'm awake. I get mad that I'm awake. Any of you relate to that? Any any of you relate to that? Years ago, I was either reading or was listening to someone, and it was said that whatever our, uh, we spend our time thinking about says a lot about what we truly, truly value, what we truly believe. And that's true whether it's something that wakes us up in the middle of the night or something that occupies our, our thoughts throughout the day. 
And Paul reminds us here in Romans that followers of Christ are called to set our minds on spiritual things. Now, as we'll see in a, a few minutes, I don't think that means feeling, filling every single hour with you know, sitting reading Scripture or sitting in prayer. Even monks in monasteries who hold to a very strict routine and very strict orders of the day, schedules, they take time for rest, they take time for restoration. But it does mean, I think, that, that followers of Jesus can't see our... Our identity as disciples, our identity as followers of Jesus as an add-on to everything else that we think. It can't just be an appendage to the way that we live. Paul reminds us here that, that each and every day, in every sphere that we find ourselves, each and every day is an opportunity to respond to the gospel. When we started this series in Romans, we spent the first few Sundays talking quite a bit about God's wrath and God's judgment. And I remember early on that I'd sit down to, to write the, the sermon and I'd think, okay, Paul, I get it. Lots of sin, lots of brokenness. There's only so many ways I can say this over and over and over again. How did he write this over and over and over again? And if I keep preaching this, whew, not only are you going to get tired of it, you probably stop coming because it's not too encouraging to hear, hey, God's judgment is coming. But that is all leading up to the first words, the first six words of chapter 8 here. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We, we can't understand the depth of the promise of the gospel, that good news that Paul comes saying, it's here, it's here. We can't understand that without grasping the brokenness of humankind, without understanding that we, we don't stand a chance on our own. And here, in chapter 8, Paul writes that there is no condemnation, absolutely none. Those who are in Christ are free from any debt, any penalty, uh, anything that we think we deserve. The invitation here is to not dwell on our shortcomings, to not, not dwell on our failures, to not allow them to dominate our thoughts. Because when we do, when we allow them to dominate our thoughts, we can't set our mind on spiritual things. So I've, I've talked some Sunday mornings about how uh, I've been coaching my son's baseball team this season, and we have about two weeks, two or three weeks left in the season, depending on how we do with the playoffs. Uh, and it's, it's, it's pretty fascinating to see how far the kids have come from when we started the season to, to where we are now. And it's like they're just getting the game, and then it's going to be done. <laughs> they're just starting to play well. They're just getting it. They're, they're, they're just playing, and, and then the season is going to be over. And as they've learned about the game and throughout the season, we've added on new rules. You know, you start with one kid pitch inning. Now we're at three pitch innings. Next week, it's four kid pitch innings. They're stolen bases now. The game has gotten much, much more complicated. And Thomas has been coming to our um, playoff bound softball, softball games. And our WPC has a softball team. We made the playoffs. You can celebrate that we made the playoffs. We, 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 made, we made the playoffs. Um, 
And uh, Thomas actually got called out. Uh, T, I hope it's okay that I share this. For, for, yeah, you, you're nodding. It is. Okay, for, for leading off um, in six-year-old baseball. You're not allowed to lead off in six-year-old baseball. Um, so it's been fun to see the way the kids grow each game, each practice. But I have to remind the kids every game, every practice, that the best players in the game, the best players in the game are successful 30% of the time. The, 30%, the best players in the game, they make mistakes, they strike out, they miss ground balls, they, they overthrow, they, they do those sorts of things. It's teaching the kids to have a, a, a short memory, to not dwell on their failure, to not dwell on, on their mistakes. Paul here to the church in Rome is inviting them to have short memories. It's the same thing that we need to hear. To, to not get stuck on things in the past. To not get stuck on, on our brokenness and on our failures. He's, he's reminding us that the good news of the gospel is that all of that has been taken care of. All of that has been taken care of. And, and we don't need to dwell on it so that we can think set our minds on things of the Spirit. Now he comes back to this idea at the end of this chapter when he writes what I think are, are some of the, the clearest words in all of Scripture. In verses 31 through 39, he says things like, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Those are powerful words. If God is for us, who can be against us? And for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything, anything in all creation can separate you from the power of the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Eugene Peterson translates Romans 8-2 in this way, and I, I, I I like his translation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. There's no condemnation. None. So don't dwell on it. The second way we can set our mind on, on spiritual things is by learning to simply recognize the Spirit. Paul spends quite a bit of time contrasting here in these verses the difference between flesh and, and spirit. He writes, if you live according to the flesh, your mind is set on the flesh. If you live according to the Spirit, your mind is, is set on spiritual what the Spirit desires. If your mind is governed by the Spirit, there's death. If it's governed by the, or govern, govern, not governed by the Spirit, there's death. If it's governed by the Spirit, there's life and peace. If your mind focuses on the flesh, you're hostile to God and can't please Him. If you live in the Spirit, Christ is in you and you have life. Now when Paul uses this, this back and forth, the, the word flesh over and over again, he's, he's not simply talking about physical things. He's not just talking about the physical world as if everything that is physical is, is bad and everything that's not physical, that's spiritual is good. That's, that's not what he's saying. 
The word that we translate here as, as flesh refers to people or, or things that, that share the corruptibility or destruction of the world. Things that contribute to the destruction of what God intended to be good. And sometimes, sometimes, when we dwell on those fleshly things, those physical things, we participate in that destruction. Like when a person fixates on, on power or, or influence for all the wrong reasons. But that's not always the case. He's not saying bad, everything physical is bad, everything spiritual, or everything that's not physical is, is good. In verses 5 through 8, he, he uses two important phrases. He says, if you have your mind set, and if your mind is governed by. If you have your mind set, and if your mind is governed by. Again, what are you thinking about? What dominates your thoughts? Paul writes that if we're driven by the Spirit, the Spirit of God lives in us. Now, I think it's important to recognize that the Holy Spirit is something that we, we don't talk often about. We sing about it. We sing about it, but, but it's one of those things, especially in the Presbyterian tradition, that we're, we're almost afraid of. You all know the, the, the kind of thought about Presbyterians, right? That we're the frozen chosen. The, 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 the joke about Presbyterians is the Holy Spirit is a little scary, and, and so we're the frozen, we're the frozen chosen. Um, I'm looking, we're going to be unpacking a lot about the Holy Spirit next week, so I'm excited to do that. Um, th- though we might not physically see the Spirit moving in our midst, we, we do see the fruit of it. Paul, Paul writes about it in Galatians, love, joy, peace, patience, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So when I'm talking about recognizing the Spirit, what I'm talking about is, do we see those traits? Do, do we see those traits? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do we see those traits and do we pursue them? Learn to recognize the Spirit. And the third way that we set our minds on spiritual things is by, by, by following through on our duties. He, he, he uses this word, it's a really strong word, obligation. He uses this word, he, he says, have an obligation. Those who are followers of Christ have an obligation, but not to live by the flesh, but by the Spirit. Think for a moment about the different obligations that you have. Obligations to family, obligations to, to friends, obligations at work, maybe obligations here at church. How do you prioritize those obligations? How? It's something I've always wrestled with. When our oldest was born, I remember uh, writing a letter to the personnel committee of the church where I was serving at the time, and I said something like, I will always strive to be a good pastor, but my life's about to change. I've, I've got a kid on the way. I will always be, uh, strive to be a good pastor, but there are times where being a dad is going to have to take priority. And one of the things that I, I love about this church, and really that church too, is that generally I've been allowed and encouraged to fulfill that duty, to live into that duty, my duties as a father. But there's definitely times over the last decade where I've fallen short, both as a pastor 
and as a dad. Where I've, I've not followed, followed through, where I've, I've lost my sense of obligation. And so my question for us is, are we intentional with following through on our obligations? Do we follow through on, on our commitment? One of the commentaries that I read about this part of Romans stated that, that Paul's thought on obligation um, to the Spirit here is incomplete. That, that he's, he's not done. That like he, he started writing and then he went back to this flesh spirit back and forth and, and didn't say, well, obligation, what does, what does that mean? And, and I, I don't necessarily agree. I think it's, it's, it's just, just as plain as what he writes. And he, he's trying to, to draw on the, the, the obligation that, that Jesus captures in John 15 when he talks about the vine and the branches. That we are obligated to stay connected. Where Jesus says to his followers, you are to remain in me and I in you. So as we set our priorities, as we follow through on our various commitments, we all have them. Are we rooted in Christ? It's an important question for us to ask ourselves. Now, if the gospel is to be the foundation of our identity, that good news that Paul came waving his arms saying it's here, if it's to shape the way that we, we think as individuals, setting our mind on Christ, the way that we act as a church community, how we live together, it begins with setting our minds on the Spirit. And we need to remember that we're not condemned. That, that we are set free. That we don't need to dwell on the brokenness, on our shortcomings, the ways that we've fallen short. We don't need to dwell on those. There's no condemnation. We need to recognize the Spirit. Look for its fruit. And to do whatever we can to put ourselves in places where we can be a part of what the Spirit is doing in the world today and we need to remember our obligation to the spirit to allow it to shape all of our commitments let's pray holy and loving god we long to be the people that you have created us to be help us to set our minds on you each and every day we pray these things in your name amen